Hi, welcome back to my podcast, Up to Some Good. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Raphael Dury, founder of Edgar, the first modern zero waste and bulk grocery shopping store in Hong Kong. Raised in France, Raphael moved to Hong Kong over 10 years ago, where he launched his career in the garment industry. Originally in the business of food distribution, he saw the potential of bulk grocery shopping. And after visiting the first 100% package-free pop-up store in France, he decided to open Edgar in Hong Kong. On top of managing Edgar and being the father of two young kids, he's also an eco in the eco-consulting business, where he consults co corporations on how to implement more sustainable practices into their daily business operations. On its website, Edgar is personalized into an individual who embodies all the brand's values. Edgar is a globetrotting, conscientious, and environmentally conscious foodie who believes genuine happiness lies in the real food that nourishes the human body and conserves ecological balance, while helping to conserve the economic self-sufficiency for small producers. Now, I'd like to welcome Raphael onto the show to tell us all about Edgar and his journey towards minimizing waste. Hi, Raphael. Thank you so much for making time today. Hi, I'm so excited Thanks for our conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Can you tell me about how Edgar, as a person, embodies your values that you want to see in the brand? Uh, yeah, sure. Actually, Edgar comes from something that was like the, the search for a name that would be catchy and that would also represent something. And uh, we didn't want to call this project like uh, the Green Magic or the organic fantastic or something like this, which is like all the trends of the organic shops that are around. But we wanted to be something that people can relate to and could be like personalized by a proper name. So we actually chose Edgar, which actually was a shop I used to go with my dad when I was a kid. That was an Italian trattoria where there was a lot of very nice food displayed and you could just oh, choose what you wow. want. And so that's also something that is easy to say in English, easy to say in Cantonese, easy to say in French, and something that just came up like this and it sticked. That's really cute. So when you grew up, were you always aware of your environmental footprint? Was your family quite environmentally conscious or did this come to you later when you arrived in Hong Kong? That come later. I mean, we've always been quite conscious about preserving our resources, but the realization of the real situation regarding our environment came later, actually. It came when I had kids. And that's actually what drove me to change career and to do something that was more impactful. What inspired you to launch Edgar was actually seeing this zero waste pop-up store in France. Can you tell me more about how you went from seeing that store to your journey towards launching Edgar? Yeah, actually, before visiting that shop, uh, a few things happened. Is like when I started actually distributing organic products in Hong Kong, I met different suppliers mm -hmm. who all had different values, but all were going in the same direction, which was to offer like quality products. One of them was making organic biscuits in the south of France. He was producing those biscuits both packaged and non-packaged. He started telling me that bulk was really taking a lot of interest from mm. customers, especially in France and also in Europe, and that maybe could be of interest for Hong Kong. So I had a look at it, and then I visited during actually the COP21, which is the meeting from the United Nations that was held in Paris in 2016. Largest organic chain store opened what was at that time the first 100% bulk shop. 
and it was really really bulk shop, including the biscuits from my suppliers. And I visited that shop actually three times during during the time it was a pop up. And what really striked me was that first everything was available without any packaging. Mm-hmm. You can bring your own container. It really had like a lot of attractiveness. But one thing that was different was that actually customers were talking to each other and they were actually giving recommendations to other people that they didn't know right. five minutes before that. And I found it really interesting in the sense that it doesn't happen in a supermarket. No, not in Hong and, Kong. Uh, it's quite rare. It, it was quite interesting just to like eavesdrop and listen to people's conversation and hear what they were saying about the product and like how nice it was or like uh, the fact that like maybe the people could just try a little bit and see if they like it or not. And these people were not salesperson. They were just regular customers. And I thought like, hey, that's a perfect concept for Hong Kong. We have limited space, there's limited offerings. We could actually extend like a bulk offering in Hong Kong. And I thought that was a perfect match for my customers, which were like organic shops and supermarkets. And so we showcased that. We did it during a trade show that is happening every year in Hong Kong in normal times. And I invited them and they all came. They all say, that's really great. I've seen that in the US, I've seen that in Europe. And it's really a great concept. And I say, okay, let's do it together. And they say, no. And I asked why. And they say, well, we don't take risks. And I was, okay. Mm. But, well, the thing that happened from that is actually in this trade show, they were like leasing managers from K11. And they were opening this new concept called K11 Natural. And they really Mm. loved the concept because it was fitting into their marketing mix. And and it was really showcasing something that didn't exist at that time in Hong Kong. And they... They really made me a very nice offer, even though at the beginning I really didn't want to go retail. Mm -hmm. And we thought that would be a great way to start a proof of concept and to see what would be the reaction of the people. Yes, so it would be like a a pop-up. It was a proper pop-up at the beginning. It was really like, but it was like maybe a six-month contract, Mm -hmm. but like it was not supposed to last more than six months. And now... And it's like a business now. uh, Well, in in December, we're going to celebrate four years. Uh, We've been through ups and downs and many different like, uh, experiences but it really opened up like a field of possibilities yeah that is so exciting and, and congratulations for celebrating your fourth year thank you <laughs> you mentioned food distributors and I know that Edgar actually stocks supplies from both international suppliers and also local suppliers and I know that you find sourcing from local suppliers very important too can you tell me more about how you choose between local and international suppliers it's well, you see, in Hong Kong, 98% of our food, I think, is imported. So, mm-hmm. like, it makes it quite difficult to resort to local producer when it comes to, like, uh, and fresh food and finished products. The quality probably is higher, right? It depends. I mean, you can have very good quality products in Hong Kong. Mm. It's just uh, maybe the output is not very big. Mm. And also, you can have some margin issues. Sadly, there are some products that can buy higher quality out of Hong Kong that will be better quality than the ones that are produced here. But that's just globalization. That's another problem. What we try to do and work with local makers is when when they have like a finished product that is bringing something uh, different from the standard offerings. And uh, we try to work also with some of them that uh, were not doing zero waste before. And uh, that's something that uh, is very satisfying because when you meet someone and you say your product is really nice, we would really be glad to offer it to our customers. And they say like, oh, you know, I don't really understand zero waste. I know the concept, but I'm not sure how I can integrate it into my operation. And then we guide them through very simple steps. And 
they can operate it and then they can scale it to other parts of their operation so they can offer it to other customers so that's where you have a ripple effect that is bringing changes and that's very interesting and so we had local makers both people that do like food for humans but uh, we also converted some makers that are doing food for pets to go zero waste uh, they used to package everything in like a lot of plastic and everything and they were feeling bad about it but like yeah. they appreciated the opportunity to switch right. and go for something that is more towards uh, a better way to consume so part of what Agro does is apart from when you source from local suppliers, you also educate them. Well, going... Not all of them, actually. Yeah. Some of them do educate us. But if we have the possibility and there's also the interest from the makers, then we are very glad to give them, for instance, containers that they can use and uh, also some tips about how they can reduce their waste. So what sort of things do you stock in Hong Kong more often then? What are people in Hong Kong making that you, you like to stock in Edgar? You mean like from local makers? Yes. Well, there's plenty of products. What we miss is space. <laughs> you can actually see even more display of local makers at other shops like Leaf Zero or I think also Slowwood who collaborates with other ones. And I've seen some other local makers that are making vegan products. The thing is... The, the pool of talents here actually specialize in, in very specific products. We collaborated, right. for instance, with uh, Sophia's bars, energy right? bars, and these were great. And this is really a very unique product. That's why it's got so much appeal. Of course, like if, you, if you're going to make a, a granola that is just business as usual that you can find off the shelf, people are not going to be attracted. Mm -hmm. But if you make a granola that is really interesting, like the one that we have from Pura Vida, then it's going to be interesting. And they, they develop like different range and they can try different things and we can also give them a lot of feedback yes mm. another question i want to ask is i know edgar wants to make it so that you're a zero carbon footprint how do you go about doing that because that itself is a challenge to track your carbon footprint and well to balance it out yeah definitely i mean like every step we do involves some energy expenditures mm -hmm. and some carbon footprint. And especially if uh, you're importing products from overseas, right? Yes. Yeah, so this is one of the easiest uh, to offset because uh, there is the possibility to buy what they call carbon credits, which are projects that generate positive output of emissions. Uh, so basically, it's uh, mostly by a carbon capturing program where it can be a tree, but it can also be like some biomass program. And so what we do is actually we do a large calculation. So by large, I mean that we overcalculate. We don't try to go to the minimum carbon we can compensate. We just go like even double what we uh, really use. And then we buy projects from a company that we used to work with, specialized into offset programs and also carbon footprint reduction, uh, which is called Allcut. And they actually just unveiled a very exciting program. They are the partner for something called Extreme E. I don't know if you heard about that. I've not it's heard like of Extreme E. Formula E. So it's like a Formula One cars that are electric. Yes. But this one, they are off-road uh, cars that go into five different places in the world to showcase the problem of like climate change. Oh, wow. So it is a competition. It's a competition, competition. And they got like a major, major endorsement in the form of Lewis Hamilton, okay. who is uh, very engaged into like both diversity, inclusion, but also like environment. And so he bought a team and he's going to have some people compete under his flag over there. And actually, Allcut is the company that will offset and help all this program to be as neutral yes. or negative as possible. 
So that is very interesting. So for us, it's quite easy. We have a pallet, let's say in Europe, we ship it, we calculate the volume, the distance, and then we calculate how many offset is going to generate. And then out of the all code programs, they got like many different programs. We choose some of them to buy some offsets from them. Okay. So you, you pay for a project to offset yeah, the carbon. Yeah, we pay for a project. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, it's both like also environmental and social projects. The two are always mm -hmm, linked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Apart from calculating the carbon footprint of, say, transporting products to Hong Kong, do you take into account the carbon footprint of delivering products locally? So these are called externalities. This is all the things that is very difficult to assess. It is. So that's why we take a little bit of a different approach by almost doubling our expenditures of our carbon credits from the shipping okay. to help to cover the externalities. Okay. There's a lot of things that we cannot know. For yes. instance, even like in Europe, we have some suppliers from everything that departs from their warehouse yeah, is actually true. already Hot. carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. So for these, it's easy. But some of our suppliers, we don't know what happened yeah, to exactly. the goods before. They can maybe tell us if it has been traveling by plane or it's traveling by sea. But we don't know if the raw material has been compensated yeah. or something like this. So this is very difficult. So right. You can only do the best you can, right? If we had to do a full research about every single ingredient mm -hmm. and how it came through, it would keep us very, very busy. And we believe we could do some other yes. things. So we just double the, the credits we need from the shipping. Yeah. And we hope it at least covers a part of the externality. Yeah, I think that makes sense. If you really have to calculate every small thing that happens, I mean, then like you goes, don't even have to it goes do very far. And then, I mean, if you want to be uh, totally virtuous, uh, you would take in account the externalities at the end of the use of the product. Yes. So it's basically, well, you leave a footprint at every step mm -hmm. you take. Hmm. So then I want to ask a bit more about some struggles or challenges when you first launched Edgar. Was yeah. it actually difficult to convert some Hong Kong people and explain to them the benefits of zero waste and bulk grocery shopping? Or was the demand already there? Well, I'm not sure if the demand was already there. Bulk exists since forever. In theory, you go to a supermarket, you would buy all your fruits and veg in bulk. Now we have an obsession with plastic in Hong Kong, which is another story, but uh, it is by essence a zero waste experience. Uh, buying rice actually uh, has always been uh, a zero waste experience. Mm -hmm. You bring your own bag or like uh, something like this. It was a bit of an interrogation when we opened on the first day. And for us, what we were really worried about was how people would perceive the hygiene of products that are in bulk. Yes. And whether they would have resistance towards that. And we took the decision to display everything into like airtight containers in glass so that you could see through the products and also to offer the possibility of people to try the products before they buy it. And that didn't seem to be a problem for customers. They yeah. were actually very happy. I mean, and it people was always love taste testing. Yeah, well, that, that for sure. We yeah. had some people that were really enjoying it. But actually, what was the most surprising is that within two, less than two weeks after we opened, and even it was the Christmas season and everything, people were starting to come back with 
containers or bags and things like that. Yeah. yeah, that was really encouraging. And a lot of people were actually giving us very nice compliments about the fact that we were trying to do something like this and that was needed and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that helped us to, to keep going forward. In terms of the response from the people, that's always been very positive. It's something that is easy to understand. It's something that makes sense. There's no big deal. What was a bit challenging four years ago, actually, was finding suppliers selling in bulk. When right. we look for creating a selection for the project, we found that a lot of suppliers would offer the products in bulk, but there would be a difference from the one that were packaged. And we found the reason was that because... The difference, in you mean in terms of quality or price? or um, the f Quality was more or less the same, but huh. some things like aspect, for instance, was different. Like one of the things that comes to mind is like cashew nuts. Okay. They were not the full nut, they were like broken nuts. Oh. And I couldn't find out like broken why. into halves. Well, they were they were like not or just crushed. Some of them were chipped or they okay, were not crushed, okay. but they were not the same that when you open in a, a package. Uh, yeah. Good. You open them and they're all perfect. Yeah. That's and weird. We find the reason actually was that these products before, when they were conditioned in five, ten, or twenty-five or over kilo, they were meant for the industrial market. They were meant, for instance, for people that are doing cookie with cashew nuts. So it, it was it, meant to be processed into something exactly. else into so another the aspect product. was not as important right as the quality and the certification of the product so that was something that took a little bit of adjustment uh -huh. what is amazing is that now in four years we even see some companies specialized into supplying bulk products only and that do mm -hmm. understand like the problematics of bulk distributors and things yes. like that did you notice that the customers that go to Edgar often are more millennials because I know the concept of being more environmentally conscious and eco-friendly is the younger generation yeah. are more proactive not sure about that anymore actually what was really a surprise at k11 when we opened was that we had a lot of seniors oh, really? coming uh, yeah and uh, that, that also created some issues because they were coming at like 11 o'clock sharp and it takes a little bit of time to open the shop and they were <laughs> just, se se senior people tend to be a little bit very, impatient very on time but very, uh, very on time 11 is 11 so that was good and actually we find out that what was driving them was the quality and they were quite appreciative of the, the zero waste concept, but that was not the, the prime reason they were coming. Then after that, we found some people that were really looking to buy things in bulk. But I would say this is secondary in a mm. way. I mean, like what, what matters is that if you are given the possibility to buy in bulk and leave no trace, I think most people will go yes. for it. Yeah, but which is great. In Hong Kong, like with so few zero waste shops, you really have to go out of your way if you want to go zero waste. So we do see also these customers that are going the extra mile and going out of their way to buy the ingredients they want yeah. in their jar, their containers. I respect like that so and, much and yeah. I'm so glad more and more people are aware yeah. of this need to do that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just now you mentioned something about hygiene. So that actually reminds me of COVID. Obviously with COVID happening, people not wanting to touch many things. Has that affected your business? Because people might be more concerned during this period of having to buy things in bulk? Well, I mean, COVID concerns everyone. And, yes, and definitely I mean, it ha has affected, affected everyone for sure. Every business. Now, of course, we had some lows during this period and we've seen dramatic reduction of sales, especially now the only shop we have left is in Moon Street and it's next to a buzzing business area. I know, I always area. go there. So when 
work from home started, definitely yeah. the, the streets were empty. Mm -hmm. So I think it affects people. Yes, definitely. There were some people that were concerned about buying in bulk and whether it would be clean or not. But then we found quite fast that once we had a better understanding of this virus and how it propagates and how if we put a barrier to that with like, of course, the mask, it would be okay. And now we see no resistance from customers. It's not something that affects That's so great. a lot. I think it, there, there's a silver lining to that. That is that that crisis brought a lot of light onto uh, the supply importance. chains. Yes. And also like traceability and to find out where the products are coming from is very important to customers nowadays. And uh, that's what uh, big brands have issues with because the more transparency you bring to the supply chain mm -hmm. and the more you showcase. And so that gave an advantage to us in a way because most of our products when they are imported are coming from Europe and yes. are certified to what we believe is a very high level of uh, certification. That also helps us to bring more information to customers. Because of COVID, the whole idea of being plant-based is becoming more and more prominent because people are more aware of how animals are linked to diseases. A lot of people say that the origins came from bats, right? Still uh, up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually not heard what you mentioned just now that people are more concerned about how the products are being traced. Why do you think that is, that COVID made people want to know more about the origins of their food sources? Well, I think because we are all concerned about like what's happening, you know, it's like a few years ago, we had the mad cow disease and uh, it highlighted something that was very taboo for the food industry, that we were actually feeding cows and veals with... Uh, powder made from uh, the bones from their ancestors that were crushed and these bones couldn't be used so they were still holding a protein value so they could still be put back into the chain and that led oh to goodness. like problem into uh, yeah. obviously reproductive and, and, and brain uh, brain problem for cows that could be transmitted to humans well, sadly, actually, those flowers, the crushed buns and things, that's so scary. They, they got diverted to fish farming. So that's another issue. But it's something that reflects how intensive agriculture is. Farming has become such an industry that is so mechanized and industrialized in such a way that even though everything is controlled, the way that we do it could lead to some issues. So definitely the plant-based movement is something that has a very good knowledge about that and knows also like everything that is associated to that, like uh, can be also animal cruelty, of course, that when you deal with hundreds of thousands of heads of cattle, yes. of course, you, you cannot be, it's not, I'm not saying you cannot be kind to all of them, but like logistically, but, it's very yeah. difficult. Of course. And then it's a realization that, uh, yeah, I mean, if you are what you eat, uh, then if you eat meat, I don't know, 21 times a week, there's going to be issue. And also for your body, people are concerned about the amount of meat and uh, possibly also yeah. All the peripherals such as antibiotics, but like vaccines, mm -hmm. everything that the cattle has been going through. And is when you start digging into and looking at it, I mean, it's properly borderline disgusting most of the time because like you find out that actually animals are vaccinated not because there is a risk, but because that actually brings less financial risk 
to the whole operation that like cattles are seen as like a, uh, the, uh, there's uh, like a reasoning for the fascination like it's yeah. not really ultimately for the animals no it's just a protection the same way that it, it, means it, to an end. It, it goes also to for like agriculture for plant products I mean they are sprayed with insecticide even though maybe in a perimeter of 200 kilometers there is no bugs of this type like it's business as usual we don't take the risk we spray that's it yeah you eat it's okay it's fine it's been approved i could buy it on the shelf so pff, couldn't harm well, you so much but like what I'm you sarcastic, said by the way <laughs> <laughs> like what you said though i'm glad that this covid situation has led to more demand for traceability oh uh, yeah yeah well the right? demand was there before yeah, I mean, yeah the plant-based movement before covid was mm-hmm. uh, thriving and it is thriving yeah. these days you see more and more things you read about crazy things even like lab meat and also i heard recently about breast milk that could be also engineered and things like oh this oh my goodness that is that is a little weird how sad is it also like uh, nowadays with plastic pollution in the sea almost every fish uh, that comes out from there is actually contaminated with plastic and possibly yeah i know the only plastic free fish or the one used for aquaponics which is like another field as well talking about plastic a lot of people in hong kong don't really trust the recycling system and because there are many sources saying that the majority of waste in hong kong is not actually being recycled do you yourself have a recycling system for edgar Okay, so that's a very touchy subject in Hong Kong, obviously. Recycling is definitely very hard. I mean, like, plastic is so diversified. There's so many different types of plastic. There's so much sorting, so much cleaning to do that. But to get to a final product that is fit for recycling is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. Definitely, when we see what can be put in place abroad and what works, it's still like a lot of work. I mean, I do believe uh, that maybe the recycling bins that are in the street have actually the same recycling rate as the whole world, which is around 10%. Yeah. There are many reasons why this system is not working, but I think the ones that are doing the good job is actually the people, because like these bins are always full. Most of the products that are inside are clean. And I think... Oh, you you actually think most of the products are properly disposed of? I I mean, like, when you look at the plastic bins in the street, they're always full. Yeah, they are always full. They're overflowing. But at the same time, I'm not sure if people know how to recycle them. No, that's something that I don't think the people should be blamed on, because actually... It's about education, right? Well... The guidelines for Hong Kong plastic recycling is to prioritize bottles and not like just uh, type 1 plastic PET bottles, but like all kind of bottles, like laundry bottles, all kind of bottles. But of course, there are a lot of people put into these bins of different plastic. For them, plastic is plastic. Yes. Okay. Any type of plastic I can recycle. Yeah. And, and, and that's... that's and to that's, be fair, it is confusing. Well, it's more than confusing. And that's the problem is actually when you look at the root of the problem and you look at the recycling logo, actually, the recycling logo was something that was designed to give to a lot of industrials an option to put on their package something that would give good conscience to consumers and that would not block the purchase action. And that's where we Uh. got like something that is like the transfer of blame. Yes. It's... It's not my fault if I put a product on the market 
and then you buy it and you cannot recycle it. Because I, I mean, I say because I say, you're supposed to recycle it. Yes, and right. so that's a way for a lot of like industrials. Oh, I never to, thought about it to, that way. To, to, to take away the charge about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. It's actually if you go a little step further. Recently, some people debunked the origin of carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And do you know who used carbon footprint the first? It's actually BP, British Petroleum. Oh, so a major oh, oil so company. again, it's a sort of transfer so they way, created, right? created like this whole concept to assess how much energy is spent into yeah. putting a product in use. And that could give actually a number. And that could actually be a way for people to realize like how much energy has been spent. But it doesn't solve the problem. It just gives you a justification. Yeah. So it's the same as the recycling logo, you know. Recycling logo, if there's no number inside, makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to recycle. And in the mind of a lot of consumers, if they see a recycling logo, they will think, hey, that is recyclable. So, yeah, no problem. I can buy it. Mm. But that's that's sadly not the case. Yeah. That's sadly not the case. Yeah, exactly. And it is very challenging to recycle. And I feel very upset at a lot of people that put a lot of effort and uh, then put these plastics that have been cleaned and used a lot of water and energy, like also personal time, to do that in the right way. And then because someone else someone put it, like another plastic in this bin, it's declared as contaminated and I don't want to deal with it. And then it's taken away. What we've seen that is interesting in Hong Kong is uh, that there is a green community station that are spread out through the, the territory. Yeah. And uh, where you can learn and you can recycle properly any type of plastic normally. And and then they will be disposed of properly. Mm -hmm. But I find the resources for common people to recycle, except sometimes in some large estates where there is there is a real motivation to do it right, it's failing the people. It's like the recycling in Hong Kong is the hot potato. Nobody wants to deal with it. You know, it's like, it's full of problematics. Barriers, so many challenges. It's difficult logistically. You know, Hong Kong is maybe the cheapest place in the world where you can dispose of your rubbish. You can arrive with almost a container load of things that have been sitting in your warehouse at the refuse station and they will say, okay, we take it. Where is it going? To the landfill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like for the past 10 years, I've been hearing, oh, we have to do something. Our landfill is going to be full next year. Next year is always next year. <laughs> and so we always find more space, even though we cannot export to China. But what is interesting to see is that, um, yeah, I mean, people are motivated that they really have to go out of their way. The same way that we see people that were really involved uh, that, that would go out of their way to do zero waste purchase. But mm-hmm. it, should be, it should be simpler. Right. I agree with you. Simpler. Have you actually been to any city or country where you think they're doing a very good job with their sustainability initiatives? Yeah, actually, where I come from in Switzerland, some people don't understand what I'm doing because they say, but... We recycle almost 80%. Yeah, to them, uh, it's just so intuitive. It's part of their lifestyle and ingrained. Well, because like, well, one thing actually uh, striked me is uh, when I was studying in Germany in... Well, 99. <laughs> Actually, I was I was I was living in Spain before that, and and in Spain there was no sorting at all. So I just put all my rubbish into a big bag and and just drop it by the side of my house where I was living. And then at night I came back and I saw the same rubbish bin there, and I was like, oh wow! I thought German efficiency, you know, it's like that would have been 
taken care of. And actually, I looked closer and there was actually a ticket on it. And I took my first fine. Yeah. And I took a fine of like, it was in Dutchmark. I don't remember how much it was, but it was oh, like they meaningful. Find you. It was meaningful. And there was a short message written, very stern but direct, basically telling me, sort that thing out. Oh, I love if it. If you don't want another fine. Oh, my goodness. And we take care of it. And I was like, okay. So I did it only once. Yeah. <laughs> After that, my trash was perfectly sorted. Oh, that's smart. That's well, and that was like 20 years ago and they have been doing it for maybe and like I mean, many years before. Sometimes people need that accountability. Well, carrot or stick, basically. Yeah. It works. But I do prefer the carrot approach. I think people should be rewarded for recycling. That's the business model of reverse vending machines. Well, have, like, you, have you been to a city where people are rewarded for recycling instead? Not really. Yeah. It's a more personal That's satisfaction, I find. But I do believe that actually the system in, in China is, is based on carrot and stick. And I think you do get rewards once you compost properly and you recycle properly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've seen actually incentives that are a little bit different. In China, there is a private organization that is trying to tackle like recycling. And so they put recycling stations in different places and they have a point system that you can use on your mobile. From this point system, you can generate different uh, redemption gifts or things like that. That is very good. The problem of the old recycling industry is that there is very low value to recycled plastics. Yeah. And especially nowadays with this whole crisis on top of that, the price of petrol has never been, well, has, has been very low, even like uh, people were giving money for <laughs> buying petrol at one point. But like uh, that, that is actually a very big um, danger for recycled plastics because actually recycled plastics now become much more expensive than virgin plastic. So most industrials will shun recycled plastics except if they have like a good strategy for change or if there is regulation that is in place in the countries where they distribute where they mm. have to incorporate a part yeah. of recycled plastic to their plastic mix yeah i mean it's inevitable that a lot of businessmen still will put their finances first and I mean, and nice. virgin plastics are just I, cheaper. Like it's something that is unbeatable is mm -hmm, economy mm -hmm. of scale. Yeah, I mean, exactly. like the more you buy, the cheaper you purchase, and the more you can profit. Yeah, but on a better note, I've just been reading an article this morning about how eco consulting is becoming more and more of a trend, and even large corporations are talking to a lot of consultants about how to implement sustainable practices into their operations. And I know you also do a bit of eco-consulting. Can you quickly tell me about that as well? Actually, that's something that is the most interesting about Edgar is the exchange uh, that we have with our customers. And uh, just either from their request or from a discussion, we came across many different cases where people representing companies were looking at ways to improve their operation. And uh, it, it really spans many different industries, like all industries are concerned. Every action we take can be thought as being more environmental friendly than, than business as usual. So a lot of people have many different interrogations. For instance, what could I use for tape that would be more eco-friendly? And so yeah. we have... From uh, just small from lifestyle the changes, tape, right? Which is like a paper-based tape to a large tape that you could use instead of using mm -hmm. like uh, those, those big rolls. That is something very, very small, but that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found actually the, the project the more interesting is when people are looking at having both an environmental and social impact. Mm -hmm. They're looking at ways to really go through the whole chain of yes. supply to assess 
where they can have the biggest factor for mm. changes. Mm. Mm. So it could go, for instance, we had some toy manufacturers, we had some banks, we had some uh, luxury industry, we have some mom and pop noodle shop. Wow, that huge been range asking of questions, industries. Like, oh, we want to switch. We don't want to use plastic straw anymore. What could we do? Mm-hmm. To We have uh, this amount of packaging per year. We're looking at like how to reduce and how it could be easier for the people who purchase our products to recycle. Some companies that are looking uh, at teaching their staff about what is zero waste. We've done a lot of these. It's like, let's say, a one-hour format where we just showcase what is zero waste, what simple products can replace existing ones that are like most of the time packaged in single-use plastic products. And so this is really eye-opening because you get an exchange, you get a lot of questions. And, uh, and well, you put a seed in people's mind after that, what they do with mm-hmm. it is, uh, mm-hmm. is quite interesting. Yeah, because like, it all starts from education and yeah. awareness. Well, we also do talk, well, we used to because these days it's gone, but we used to talk at schools a lot. Uh, and this is the best because the question from the kids, they are the hardest to answer to. Well, kids definitely have a very good uh, knowledge about the situation and they are the yeah. biggest drive for change. Uh, Absolutely. Kids drive their parents to change the way they consume or to extend yeah. the way they consume. And that is very, very impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. So before we end, I have three questions for all my up to some good guests. And the first one is, if I gave you a billion dollars now to invest in Edgar, thank you. what would you do with it? <laughs> With a billion dollars, well, there's a lot of things that you could do. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I would look at doing more social projects. Mm. We really enjoy working with suppliers that favor fair trade, that manage to put like a lot of uh, dynamics into uh, putting equality Supply all over chain, the right? line. Yeah. But we would have plenty of money to do plenty of other things. So definitely yeah. we would do and a and lot of things. Okay, and the second question is, what do you do when you're up to no good? So what is your guilty pleasure? You know, I still feel guilty when there's no other drinks than a plastic Oh yeah, me too, drink. me too. Sometimes uh, definitely I just... not a water bottle, but there's some stuff you cannot... Sometimes... So some drinks are difficult to find in a can. <laughs> <laughs> like what? What's your favorite drink that's, uh, I guess, in a plastic I don't know. bottle? I do love water. Uh, okay, really. <laughs> that's uh, good to hear. <laughs> okay, but you can't say drinking water is really a guilty pleasure. No, that's not a guilty pleasure. You know, sometimes a pack of chips, I feel guilty. Yeah. What I feel guilty most is like, I had a very free reign when I was a kid to just pop things out from the shelves and eat it. And I feel I'm very restrictive with my kids. <laughs> like even balloons, you know, we don't have balloons at birthday because parties. It's, and it's like, oh, I feel a bit a bad f- about bit. that, you know. And then my, my daughter is like, it's okay, pop. Uh, we can just take like another balloon. Oh, uh, at least they have... understand. So we have like rescue balloons. Uh, yeah. We see balloons that are meant to go to the bin, then we uh-huh, take uh-huh. care of them. But, uh, but yeah. you're setting a good example by doing that. Just and your like kids a, are understanding, which, yeah, which is really sweet. My son is not always very understanding towards that, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question is, are there any individuals or businesses up, out there which you think are up to some good as well? There's plenty. All the people we collaborated with have done a really good job at uh, making changes and like going for, for things that are more eco-friendly or more sustainable in different ways. Every step counts, so it makes a difference. But we see a drive for change, whether it's for face uh, or for personal satisfaction or for 
proper impact. All, all companies nowadays know about the world of sustainability. Four years ago, I mean, like you were talking about sustainability. Uh, what is that? It's still mm -hmm. very ingrained in a lot of companies that this is more a burden than an of opportunity course, to change. But what we realize is that the companies that instill change into their operation are actually taking huge benefits from it, both from their workforce, which are happy to work for companies that care, uh, to their customers who are also enjoying supporting companies like this. There is a statistic that is impossible to find is how many people refuse to buy some products because they are packaged in plastics. This is something that if it was published, if it was possible to measure, I think a lot of companies would, would have a deeper look at it. So what do you think is the future of zero waste in Hong Kong? More shops, I there hope, will be... supermarkets. I think it's a long way to go for supermarkets because these shops are like uh, harder to deal with than business where you just open a carton box and put everything on the shelves. Mm -hmm. uh, everything is still so packaged and even the fruits and vegetables are wrapped sometimes. Because plastic cells. It just kills me. Plastic cells, you know. When you have a bunch of products uh, on a shelf, like let's say orange, and you have uh, orange that are packaged in a plastic bag for some reason, or banana or whatever, and orange that are loose, technically, a lot of people will prefer to buy the plastic ones. And this is something that is generational, maybe. Like, uh, it's, it's something that will change. I feel the change is there. Once you get, like, more possibilities, more customer drive, then it will go for a change. Yeah, me too. I definitely see the changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, the awareness is there. And change is definitely happening. With COVID, people are becoming so much more conscious of their consumer yeah. choices and how consumer choices directly affect the environment too. Mm. And with people like you leading the change, I'm sure oh, there's, many, there's a many. really good future for Zero Waste in Hong Kong. I hope so. Thank you so much, Raphael. Thank it you, was Claudia. so nice speaking with you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. If you have a chance, please remember to follow Up To Some Good on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also, Check out our Instagram at upto underscore some good for updates on weekly episodes and other content that we're intrigued or inspired by. <laughs>